Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see you today. Uh, thank you for those of you who are joining us online. We are so glad and grateful that you have chosen to be part of Restoration Church Online. But I want to start today off with a quick, unscientific survey. Just by a show of hands, how many of you make commitment and then at the last minute come up with an excuse to get out of the commitment? <laughs> I should see more hands than that. We all do that. <laughs> uh, but when we commit to making plans, when we commit to these, we like the idea, we like the company that we are choosing to be with, but at the last minute, our heart changes, our mind changes, and we decide that this isn't something that we really want to do. Well, I've got some good news for you. I have a list of excuses, so next time that this happens, where you change your mind at the last minute, you have some in your back pocket that you can throw out. The first one is, my pet is throwing up. If you have a pet turtle, it still works. You can say, my pet is still throwing up. This is a good one. I ate a burrito and I've got indigestion. Uh, another good one is, oh, I totally forgot the meeting was today. We all know that you didn't do that. Another one is, sorry, I can't make it, I have to work. Here's a COVID excuse for you. I'm just so frustrated with the state of the world that I can't go out right now. But the idea of these, uh, these excuses is that we come up with them to back out of commitments. We feel awkward sometimes just being straight up and saying, I don't really want to do this. And so these excuses, some of these are legitimate if they're actually happening, but most of the time when we give the excuses because we said yes and, our ch and, we, did, and we didn't want to, we, or we were hoping for that something better would come along in, in its place. Or most likely, we just didn't value the time commitments we made with other people. Truthfully, we have all of the same amount of time in the week, and ultimately, we make time for what we value. Think about being in church or serving. Some choose not to be at church because they find something more important, more valuable to them than to be here with each other. Too often, I talk with people and they say something like, I love Jesus. And I, I, all I need is my Bible. I don't need the church to worship Jesus. So we get this idea that we don't need to serve people. We don't need to serve God. We don't need to serve others. And this is a similar place where we find the people in our passage today. So we've been in the book of Malachi, and it has been a series of six questions from the people of God. They are economically poor. They are struggling politically. They are morally and they are spiritually declining. And so uh, the result is that their faith has grown cold and they are giving God their half-hearted worship. And so God is bringing these accusations against them on who these people are or what they're doing or not doing. As we saw last week, the people's half-hearted worship led them to rob God by a lack of generosity, by not giving him their tithes. The people weren't honoring God with their money. And so today we're looking at the other side of what we value, our time. And so where you spend your time is indications of what you truly love and worship. The people weren't only robbing God by not giving him their tithes, but they were also withholding worship from God when they weren't serving him. And so 
what we want to see today is that serving God is a way to worship him. And it is fitting how we are processing what worship is today. And we are seeing there are multiple ways to, to worship God beyond our singing. And so the passage begins by this, verse 13. Your words have been hard against me. As the NIV translates it differently, it says, You have spoken arrogantly, says the Lord. But you say, how have you spoken against you? And what arrogant words is God referring to? The whole book of Malachi, God has been bringing accusations against the people on what they are doing, what they're not doing. But this is the first and only accusation about words and not actions. And what's happening is that the people are struggling. They don't understand God. They have doubts about why they need to serve God. They are questioning the effectiveness of serving God, of being committed to the people of God. And so I want to say, these are all things that we struggle with too. Why do I show up to church? Why do I serve the body? Why do I do these things? What is the point of all of these things? And so we are right there with them asking these same questions that they are. But the problem here is that they are allowing their words to impact their actions. They are acting arrogantly against God and saying they don't need to serve God and they're not doing anything to serve God. And this is what they are saying. Verse 14, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So what they are doing is they are making excuses why they don't need to serve God. They are saying, I can do my own thing. I don't need to live my life subjected to God. I don't need to serve him. And so it's not wrong to ask these questions. As I've asked this, these similar questions many times over the last 12 years of my life, including here at Restoration, why am I doing these things? These are good questions, but when we allow these questions to be our motivation, that is where the problem is. And so the people of Israel are wrong in the way that they are approaching or applying these questions. And so they have three excuses that they give why they don't need to serve. So these are excuses for us why we don't need to serve God. The first excuse, there's no point in serving God. Looking back at what they said, it is vain to serve God. In other words, it is completely and useless to serve God. I could watch the game, I could work, I could do something else. It doesn't really matter. And so we might as well choose what's most comfortable. This is at the root of this first excuse. The second excuse is related to the first. I don't get anything from serving God. And so they say, what do we gain by carrying out his requirements before the Lord Almighty? They are saying that serving God does nothing to enrich my life. Serving God does nothing to fix my brokenness. It just makes life harder. I have to work hard. You know, sometimes I get here and Pastor Jake doesn't even say hi to me. And all I gain from serving is missing out from enjoying what is happening in life. And then the third excuse. Non-Christians don't serve God and they're better off than I am. And you see their words, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Of all the excuses, this one seems to have a valid reason to not serve God. We see wicked and evil people succeed in our world. 
And God does nothing. While that may seem the case right now, God has already told us in the book of Malachi that he will judge, that he will bring his righteousness, and that he will separate things out at a later day. God has been telling the people of Israel that he is still just. We could easily add more excuses to these three. I can't serve because I want to be fed. I just want to listen to the music, and I just want to listen to Pastor Kevin preach. I just want to be fed. Then another one we could add is, I can't serve because the work is too hard. Another one is, I can't serve because I'm not skilled enough. And any time that we are inconvenienced or, or we have to make a sacrifice for God, an excuse is not far away. And so I want to say that God is not addressing the people who are already serving him. He's addressing the people that are making excuses for why they don't need to serve him in obedience. All excuses start and end with the same thing. They are me-centric. The point, it's pointless for me to serve God. I don't gain anything from work. I work hard for God. Yet evil people are happier than me. See, the people are acting arrogantly against God because they are expecting God to serve them. They are expecting God to meet their needs. They are expecting God to make them great. And they are expecting God to serve them so that they can be blessed and rewarded. And so this isn't service that is worship to God. This is worship of self. I am prioritizing my needs. I am prioritizing who I am, my wants, my preferences. And I don't care what God wants from me. So God is telling his people that he wants nothing to do with this. At the heart of serving God, it's naturally to understand that it's not about me. In fact, that is one of the things that we say here at Restoration Church. We even have a shirt that says, it's not about me. If it's not about me, it means that it's not about my fears. It's not about my preferences. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what I want. But it is about Christ and his glory. And so serving God leads us to understand that it's not about me. And so God is our creator. God is our sovereign king. He is Lord and master of our lives. And we are deserving of everything, or he is deserving of everything that we have become, everything that we will become. And we serve God because his character and his nature is worthy of everything that we are. And so God is calling the people to worship him in in something greater. But God wants us to see something from this. He wants us to serve him with glad and joyful hearts. And so this isn't a heart that is dreading to serve him. It's not out of obligation. He wants our service to be a response to who he is and what he has done in our lives. Look at the type of people that God wants us to be in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So the first thing we see is that those who honor God are in community. They find each other, they talk to each other. We have absolutely no idea what they said, but we see here that we cannot serve God apart from the people of God. And so we, they, they, they are coming together to find each other, to serve, to serve God together in a greater uh, capacity. Just like the people of God in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes down to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 
And the people, all of the people come together to pick up bricks to rebuild Jerusalem together because one person could not rebuild Jerusalem on his own. And so God is wanting us to serve him together where we can accomplish more for his kingdom than we can on our own. But more importantly, the key phrase is those who feared the Lord. It's so important, it's stated in, twice in verse 16. Those who feared the Lord spoke with, with one another. Those who feared the Lord and his, esteemed his name at the end of verse 16. And I want to encourage you to underline that phrase in your Bible right now. This is who God wants us to be. This is the type of people that God wants us to be. He wants us to fear him. And this idea, or Proverbs says that the fear of God, of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we see that happening right here in our text. Fearing God comes before serving him. But fearing God means honoring him, placing him as our highest authority in our lives. And so God's children are to love him above all things, loving his people as also. Fearing God and honoring God leads us to serving him. Going even further, we get an unexpected reversal in this text. This verse be, brings a radical shift in the tone and the style from the rest of the book of Malachi. We get a rare glimpse into the throne room of God. The reader, not the people who are speaking to each other, are seeing what God is doing. And God is doing that on our behalf because he wants us to see how he moves and how he acts. And so verses 16 and 18, God is speaking to the heavenly hosts about the people who fear him. And then he's, this, is an, this is a benefit for us. We see what God is doing behind the scenes. And why? Because God is using these verses to invite us into greater uh, ability to serve him. He wants us to serve him out of worship, not out of obligation. And so from these verses, we see three clear blessings that God is giving to those who serve him. No, we don't serve God expecting these blessings. We don't serve God to get these rewards, but God is blessing us. He's freely giving these things to show us that he loves us and that he cares for us. And so the first blessing is this. God listens and pays attention to us. He remembers us. Verse 16. Then the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord. Again, this is the angelic hosts are bringing these things and he is doing these things in his throne room, not in front of the people who are talking to each other. But notice the word picture. The image here is like an attentive father giving full, undivided attention to his children. Many times as a father myself, I can be home silently watching my kids play. I can watch them converse, and I can just watch them enjoy life, even though they don't know that I'm doing this. I am joyfully observing everything that they're doing. And this is exactly what God is doing when we are joyfully serving him. God is showing us that he's not too busy to pay attention to us. He gives us our full, undivided attention now imagine this, God who is our sovereign God who holds all creation together stops what he's doing to pay his attention to us when we are serving him out of worship. 
There's no dialogue that's happening between God and his people here. It's all in the throne room. And when we worship God through our service, God is paying attention to us. He is, we are not forgotten. And what a comfort this is when life is hard, when life doesn't make sense, to be faithful to God, to serve him, to worship him. What a, what a comfort that is to see that God has not forgotten us, that God is still with us. But here's our second blessing, that God values us and meets our needs. Verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possessions. I love my three kids, and it's been fun watching them grow up and learn and become their own people. My oldest has gotten to the place where he has certain toys and possessions that are special to him. He's only five, but he loves these They're his uh, Star Wars Legos, but they're in a special place. He gets them out, and he plays with them differently than the rest of his toys. He pays attention to them differently, and when they get broken, he laments over the fact that they are broken. And so this is exactly what God is doing with us, that he cherishes his children. He cherishes and loves those who fear him, who serve him. And so many times in my life, I've been stressed, I've been worried about today, I've been worried about the future, I've been concerned about my circumstances, yet I've seen through faithfully serving God that he has met my needs, that he has cared for me even on days that I didn't feel like I wanted to. But he did this and he does this to show that he cares for us, that he loves us. So God does this for all of us. He graciously meets our needs, not always instant and not always the ways that we expect, but this is a way for him to bless us in that he values us and he meets our needs. The third blessing is that our service proves our salvation. Verse 17, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Serving God proves that our salvation is true. Remember, the people feared and honored God, and then they sought to serve him. God, this is the same way for us that we are saved by grace through faith, through Christ, nothing else. We are not saved by going to church. We're not saved by serving God. But our service, our good works, always follow our salvation. Look at what James 2 tells us, that faith produces works. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead also. If we claim to love God, serving God and serving others is essential to our faith that some form of service is required for us to be considered right with God. What we think about God influences how we act and how we serve him. Serving God, when this is, this is important for us, is serving and loving God is, even when life is confusing, even when life is challenging. There's precedent for us to serve God even in the midst of a global pandemic. I would say that there's more precedent now to serve God than there has been in our entire lifetime. There are more needs in our community, more brokenness, that God is showing us real tangible needs to come and to meet and to love people that don't know him. 
to love his body, to love his people. There's more precedent now than there has ever been. But doing so, serving God in the midst of heartache and confusion only tells the world and ourselves that we believe that God is sovereign, that we believe that God is on the throne. It is an assurance to us where we stand with God. And this is God's blessing that our service proves our salvation true. Why? Because serving God is an outpouring of our worship to him. Worshiping God means giving him thanks for his goodness, giving him thanks for his redemption, for his love for us. Serving God is always meant to be an outpouring of our worship to him. Serving God means that from the point that we have been saved, that we serve God by living out the gospel, by proclaiming the gospel to others, and this is what God wants from us. Let me just say, serving God is not limited to a position on Sunday morning. It's not filling the role of pastor, of elder, of worship leader, of life group leader, or whatever else that we have positioned to serve. Although, in a lot of cases, that's where serving starts. Serving God is an outpouring of worship to him. But where do we go from here? And I just have three ways for us to assess our heart First question, do you fear the Lord? Come to know Jesus. First, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not saved, that's what God wants from you right now. God wants your heart set on him. He wants your heart satisfied in him. As the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Regardless of what is happening in your life, God loves you. God has a plan for you. But God wants you to know him and to enjoy him forever. God wants you to be in relationship with him. In knowing him and serving him, you come to, to see and experience the faithfulness and the graciousness of God at, at completely new levels. But it starts by placing your hope and your trust in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you want to know more, I want to have you fill out that connection card at restorationyakima.com Sunday. Just how do I have a faith? Ask those questions and either Pastor Kevin or myself will reach out to you and help you figure out what faith is. But if you are in a place where you are dreading serving God, you have already placed your trust in him, but you are questioning why you, these, why you do various things for the church or for the community or for the city, I want you to spend time before the Lord asking him to help change your heart, that he would change it from one of duty to, do, to, to delight. But our heart reveals what we think about God, and our actions are an overflowing of our heart. So spend time in the Word of God praying. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you change your mindset. This is where we are. Number two, are you making excuses? You want to know where your heart is? A lack of serving may be an indication that you're not okay with God. Review your calendar for engagements coming up and over the course of the past few months. What does it say to you? As Pastor Kevin said last week, that our bank account tells us what we value. Our time tells us what we also value. We make time for what we truly value. Are you saying, I don't need to serve God because I've got all sorts of engagements? And so, are you making excuses to not serve God? The third 
way to assess our heart is I want to challenge you to test God in this. Where and how are you serving? Last week, God challenged us to test him with our finances. He said, put me to the test and I will overflow your vats. Today, this passage, God is inviting us to trust him with our time, to see what he's going to be doing in our lives. So what are you doing to serve God right here at Restoration? We have many serve teams and many opportunities to hop in and, and, and do something. I'm not going to lie, this past year has been rough for Pastor Kevin and I as we have taken on more tasks and more duties and we've been able to accomplish far less than we had wanted. Even our, our setup crew, we have more things happening on Sunday morning with fewer people coming together to make things happen where we can come and we can worship freely. God is not wanting one or two people to build his kingdom. He wants the entire people coming together, picking up bricks, and building the wall together. We have a greater impact to make God known when we are serving God and loving each other as God has designed it. But again, there's more to serving God than Sunday morning serve teams. It's not the only place that we can go, but it's a good start for us who for many of us, may not be doing anything. And so you can find opportunities to serve by going to restorationyakima.com slash Sunday and clicking on that serve button. But on your way out this morning, I want to encourage you to stop and to look at all of these pew sections that are, that are closed off. Uh, when Kevin and I threw those together, there was the last thing on our mind, and there was a family who saw this need without being asked asked how can we make this more setting that how can we set the help set the tone for worship so on your way out just observe these and allow the words to penetrate your heart the words of scripture and so a family saw a need and stepped up to serve this is a way for us to serve god without being asked but we also have to look and see how are we serving god in our community in our city God doesn't just want us to serve here on Sunday morning. God wants us to serve him with our lives. He wants us to serve him in, in our city. Jeremiah 29 tells us to be a blessing to the city that we are in. How are you serving your city? We have an opportunity as a church to serve our community, to serve Love, Inc. for their Christmas party. And many of you remember what the Christmas party looked like last year. And while we will continue to serve Love, Inc. and the people going through Love, Inc., we are looking at how can we do this safely and differently in the light of COVID. COVID doesn't mean that we stop serving God. No, COVID means that we serve God in, way, in, in, in very unique ways. And so over the course of the next week, I want to encourage you just to keep an eye out for ways that you can help serve uh, Restoration Church as we serve the, the, the Love, Inc. Christmas party. So we're going to have sign-ups on how you can engage our city together as a body. So look out for ways to serve their Christmas party this week via our newsletter. But serving God is a matter of our heart. It is a matter of worship. As we think about how and where we serve, know that God delights when we delight in Him. Serving Him is an outpouring of our worship loving him above all things, and we get a real glimpse into what God is doing in our lives and in the world around us.